You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 64, Speaking Napolitano and Mandarin. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast and conversation with multilinguals. Today, I'm speaking with Salvatore about his native Napolitano and the language that he's studying in school, Mandarin. Salvatore speaks so many languages and is a member of the Hyperpolyglot Association, and he tells us a bit about almost all of the languages that he speaks. In this episode, he shares his tips for self-studying and how he likes to try out so many different languages. We talk about life in Naples, languages that he commonly heard growing up there, and he even tells us how to understand some differences between Neapolitan and Italian. He also tells us about the way he was taught Mandarin and how he's been able to approach learning that language. And just for fun, Salvatore, whose nickname is Mr. UNICEF, by the way, tells us what some of his favorite languages are. Big thank you to Salvatore for this conversation and for sharing pieces of your world with us. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Speaking Tongues podcast on Apple Podcasts, or like and subscribe on YouTube so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. And if you've been a longtime listener of the show or a recent listener, you can now support the show on buymeacoffee.com. Links to all platforms are in the show notes. Okay, let's chat. Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I am here with Salvatore. Ciao, Salvatore. Ciao, ciao, Eli. <laughs> How are you? Um, well, I'm good now. Um, <laughs> maybe just a bit upset, you know, like Wolverine, I would say. Um, yeah, definitely good, you know. Um, yeah, doing fine. I'm so happy to have you. Uh, join me today for this conversation and I'd like to start out each episode with the same question and that is what is your first language and which languages have you learned to speak? Okay so uh, my first language is obviously Italian well you can tell from my name <laughs> very typical <laughs> name um, then obviously I had to learn English um, it was the first language I learned then I learned a bit of Spanish at middle school and then uh, ancient Greek and Latin in high school. And then when, well, right now I'm in university, I'm studying Chinese. I'm also studying some languages on my own, such as um, Portuguese, Swedish. Uh, I'm currently studying Tagalog slash Filipino. Uh, I've studied Swahili uh, and um, Asian Creole last summer. I've studied Papiamento a couple of months ago and well, I'm still learning, but it's kind of easy. So, you know, compared to Tagalog, I don't have to um, like, you know, give it a lot of time. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say those are the languages. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's really a lot. So with some of the languages that you've only studied for maybe um, a few months or for a summer, um, how did those languages come into your life? Mm. Okay, so I would say uh, sometimes I get attached to 
people <laughs> and the cultural belonging to them. So uh, I think I'm going to give you the example for Swahili, which is basically I had these students. I was teaching her Italian and I don't know why I was always like asking her, you know, some words translating in Swahili, you know, just for fun, you know. Um, and then I was kind of interested just in knowing how the language itself worked. Right. Mm. And I was like, wow, um, this language is really nice, you know, because I like the way you have to kind of like change the way you think of a language, you know, like with the suffix, prefix, it doesn't work like English. It's got many, the verb tenses are like linked to the verb with the personal pronoun attached to it. So it just becomes one huge word, which is not as hard as German, but it's also, you know, kind of uh, nice, you know, to see like how a language can work differently from a language that you really speak, mostly like European or Asian languages. Yeah. And what was your experience when you were learning these languages for a short period of time? Uh, my experience, I would say um, I was, uh, well, I, I usually dedicate like one or two full months to a language. And then I keep practicing them like by reading, by online material. I try to do some online quizzes or like I try to keep in touch with most of my friends, you know, trying to practice. I'm not saying daily, but maybe a couple of times a week. Um, I sometimes have like language exchanges with um, friends of mine. So let's just say I have my friend from the Philippines, then my, we might talk half an hour in, in Italian, then the other half an hour in, um, in Tagalog. So that's definitely like helping me. It's like there's always, um, there's always like a practice, you know what I mean? It's not like after a couple of months, I would um, just like abandon those languages behind. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. So when you were growing up and you grew up in Napoli, right? Yeah. Yeah. What languages did you hear spoken in your home or in your community when you were growing up? Okay. So um, I would say, obviously, everyone would expect I hear Italian a lot. That is um, true. Uh, mostly it was like school-based, you know, obviously in school, you have to speak the standard Italian language. But then I would say I obviously grew up hearing a lot of Napolitano, as you know, you know like our own dialect, which is like literally everyone speaks the dialect. If you go like you just literally right now, I go outside in the streets and I would definitely hear someone speaking Napolitano as the dialect rather than standard Italian. Um, and then I would say it's um, odd enough, uh, but I also grew up hearing a lot of Arabic, uh, mostly in my years of high school, because uh, mm. I feel like I had lots of Arab friends. I used to work in this um, kind of, um, I used to help people, you know, coming from, you know, like maybe by boats coming uh, to Italy. Uh -huh. So I was, uh, yeah, working in this community to help them. And so I would uh, obviously to work with these people, I was like, you know, I, I'm always interested in every language. So like, instead of like, I was teaching them Italian as well, but I was also trying to get something from their own, like their mother tongues, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I think most of them are obviously from North Africa and there was like a lot of um, lot of Arabic dialects. As, as you know, obviously like, there's like the standard Arabic, but then uh, there are many varieties of dialects that change in every country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. I didn't realize like how much Arabic could be heard in in Naples yeah it, it depends also like obviously um I, I think I used to hang out with a lot of people that couldn't speak Italian you know so that's why I think I grew up speaking English most of the times and obviously Arabic was one of the main languages because obviously when they were speaking um 
with each other they obviously were using their their mother their mother tongue which was yeah. arabic um so yeah i was like hearing that a lot and i think i picked arabic without ever studying it but just because i was hearing it a lot and i was like having just a um an online dictionary made by myself on my phone notes you know <laughs> so i was like all right i'm picking some words <laughs> And when you were in, you so you said when you were in high school, you studied yep. ancient Greek and Latin. Um, yep. Were those subjects, uh, were they compulsory? Did you have to study them? Did you choose to study them? And I guess what languages were offered to students in your high school um, as a second language? Okay, so in my case, yes, ancient Greek and Latin were compulsory, both of them. Um, we have um, we have three types of high school. Um, so one is for scientific subjects, another one is for languages, and the other one is for we call them humanistic subjects like philosophy um, mm. and obviously Greek and Latin. So I picked that one. So I was not studying languages at that time. I was just doing like um, an in-depth study of Italian language, like grammar and culture and the literature of English. Um, and then obviously ancient Greek and Latin together with their uh, related literature, like, you know, the mythology and all those, um, all that stuff related. Um, so in, in my case, I would say my own high school, yes, uh, those were compulsory uh, and there was no second language, it was just English and then Asian, Greek and Latin. But if you were going to the um, languages high school, then definitely you can study um, English and then you can pick Spanish or French. Or, oh no, actually you can do Spanish and French and you can pick either Spanish or German. Okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah. How was that? How was that learning ancient Greek and Latin? It was, uh, I would say, um, back then, I was not appreciating it as much as I do right now. Um, I think right now, because I'm studying lots of languages, I feel like how useful, you know, studying Latin and ancient Greek really was. Because like the all mostly, you know, it's helping a lot with European languages, with etymologies, you know, with like the origins of the words, which I really, I'm really fond of. And so I would say on that note, those languages are really helping. Obviously, they're dead languages, like no one speaks those languages, even though there's like a good thing by Duolingo, which is providing Latin <laughs> code. So, uh, you know, like shout outs for that. Um, but I would say, I would say that um, they are very useful right now. I am appreciating them a lot. I remember when I was in high school, I was not really committed to the language itself, but I was completely in love with the literature like mythology and even currently i'm reading a book called the song of achilles which is mm. like based on uh, greek mythology so yes i'm definitely in love with that so when do you think it was that you first became interested in learning so many languages was there a specific incident that happened or was it you know, maybe working with the um, the Arabic-speaking people who were coming to your community. Um, was it something you saw or something you did that that led you to being interested in learning all of these languages? Okay, so I would say there was not a specific time of my life. I would say maybe towards the last year of high school, I was already like, you know, obviously thinking of um, living in Italy, like going away, studying abroad. So I was like, oh, wow, you know what? I can study more languages. You know, like I also picked Chinese. I was like, oh, maybe I can start like studying more languages because back then I was just like speaking Italian and English. So, you know, it was kind of um, wait for me to start a new language and maybe it was not going to be as useful as English is. 
but even I remember like a lot of people were mm, kind of like, you know, looking at me weirdly or making fun of me at times because uh, I used to study very weird languages. So, you know, as I told you, like I've never studied Arabic, but then I started buying a book just for like a very basic level just mm. to read it, just to see what the grammar, like how the grammar really worked, you know. Um, so I was studying Arabic and then I was also studying uh, Norwegian and Serbian which oddly enough you know nowadays I only remember a couple of words I can't really speak uh, Serbian or like Arabic you know mm -hmm. so I would only remember a couple of phrases you know that is why like I never list them in the languages I speak because I, I would only be able to say a couple of words understand them. maybe if I see obviously I can read the alphabet most like Cyrillic alphabet for the Slavic languages and um, the Arabic alphabet um, but then it would be really hard to make up sentences so I would say um, I I've always been really drawn, you know, um, onto language, like to like language learning process. But then I never really committed, committed to it because like I was fond of the beginner's style of like learning a language, you know, like you, where you have to make a vocabulary, you have to learn the new words related to like, for example, like the food page or you have the, um, how to say the places like, you know, restaurant, church, um, market, um, square, all these kind of things. Um, mm -hmm. But then when it came to sentences, I was really getting lost because I had no one that was helping me. Most of were like Norwegian and Serbian. Um, they were just like languages that I picked. You know, I was picking up just because I liked the history, like the, the countries, maybe the culture. But then I really didn't have many friends back then that could really help me. So I think that it all started when I moved to Liverpool, um, my second semester of the first year at university. I was, I, I started meeting a lot of, polyglots like people that were that could really speak many languages i was like oh wow that is actually a thing people can speak many languages you know i was like maybe i should like pick up more languages and i should do something and that's when i really got into it you know i was like i, I was actually afraid you know because i was studying i was studying chinese i was like maybe you know chinese is gonna take up most of the time you know because obviously it requires uh more in-depth study you know compared to other european languages but then i was like you know maybe i can do it i can do it and i just started online with some apps like boost or duolingo you know i was like uh, you know what i'm gonna try a language first i'm gonna see if i like it if it sounds nice and and i think the first one was probably yes yeah, swedish and portuguese were the first ones uh, that i started so basically after chinese and english yeah mm -hmm. let me ask you what with yeah. all the languages that you are studying you have studied and your interest in languages what do you hope to do with all of them or wow. any one of them or any one of them like is there is there anything that you hope to do in your life with your knowledge of all of these languages mm, yeah so i would say um last year i found my deepest passion which is basically teaching languages mm. uh, I do not see myself teaching in the future just because I've never really planned that in my life but you know obviously the maybe the the most like the finest things in life are the un unexpected ones like the things you don't plan ahead mm. but I I can't really tell you I I've never really seen myself as a teacher but right now I I'm really enjoying it. I'm so passionate about it. You know, I'm, I'm teaching online, as you know, um, I have like different, several classes per week. I teach several languages and I enjoy every single moment, you know, of each <laughs> class. I love my students. I love to, I, I feel like, you know, um, imparting wisdom, you know, because then obviously when you teach, you're also learning from your students, right? So there's always like that kind of like uh, discussion, um, exchange of knowledge, of ideas, 
and I I'm really I don't know I'm I'm a great fan of it you know I'm really fond of of this whole like teaching process you know because I'm teaching and learning at once and I would say it really helps me a lot and obviously shapes up the person I am right now yeah so I'm really glad I'm really glad um my dream job you know um would be like to work with associations um such as like the UN UNICEF maybe try to use as many languages as possible because like you know I always I have this idea that languages are like your your babies right you have to take care of <laughs> each one of them um like on the every each one of them is like on the same level Jenny. so you know that is why sometimes every day I would um, I would like read in uh, in Spanish but then I would do some reading in the other languages well like in Portuguese in Chinese uh just because I don't want them to feel you know forsaken you know <laughs> That's why I just hope in the future I can try to find a job where I can use at least, I'm not saying all of them because it will be uh, human, impossible, but at least most of them. Yeah, it will be yeah. really great. That's amazing. I think that's really, I think that's really cool. So you're what's considered a hyper polyglot. And I would love to know, um, what does this word hyper polyglot what does it mean to you? What importance does it have in your life? What do you, what do you think of when you, when you hear hyper polyglot? Um, so obviously if you are asking me personally, I would say I'm that kind of person who like, um, feels like feel satisfied and because of an achievement, but then would not make a huge deal out of it. If you know what I mean? So Basically, I would feel like, yes, I, I would feel like I reached a goal, which I was not expecting you know, like, to reach in my right. life. It's a bit like the teaching stuff. So I feel like, yes, I'm satisfied because I'm being um, appreciated, you know. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like it just opening up a brand new world for me, you know. Because like maybe, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I would have never thought I would, I would connect, you know, with so many people that speak so many languages. And right now I feel like, you know, I'm building um, even small, but a community, you know, of all people that speak multiple languages around me that I can practice with all those people. So I feel like I always say languages, uh, it's always a means of communication. And as long as you're understood, you're always good to go. So like, you don't need, you don't need to be the super master of a language. No one is not even like you, you can't even master perfectly your mother tongue. So let alone a foreign language. But sometimes I really feel like it's definitely opening yours, you know, it's, it's a way to open yourself up to the world, to new cultures, and also to be more, you know, tolerant, accepting of your surrounding. So mm -hmm. definitely languages, you know, uh, I'm not going to say that everyone should speak many languages, uh, <laughs> but it's definitely a good way to open yourself up to the world. And sometimes I feel like mm, people would just say, Oh, I can never become a hyperpolyglot, you know, because like there are so many languages. I'm still at my at my on my fourth. I'm still studying my fourth language. Uh, but then I feel like if you really want to do something, you just go for it. Okay, um, it's not even a matter of time because like even one hour per day is enough, you know, for a language. And you can definitely carry on your study. Um, you know, take your own pace. Or you can you can take a slower pace. You know, if you want to, maybe just a couple of times per week. You can have a discussion. You can have an online um, video call with your friend and try to practice mm -hmm. your target language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, with all the languages that you have and you've learned and you've studied, um, do you take the same approach to learning? all of them are there some languages that require you to maybe do a little bit more reading or some that require a little more speaking or a little more writing practice or 
whatever works for you like how how do you approach learning them is it all in the same way or do you do you use different methods to to learn these languages yeah so um i would say obviously every language is different so um each of them requires different um different amount of time and as well as different material so i would say obviously if it's um european language like you at least like romance language like european based language then i would say that would require me less time um because it's always like related to my mother tongue um a, originally from latin or greek you know so in that case it would be uh, it would not be as demanding as mm. like let's say asian languages or african languages um, I'm obviously thinking that Chinese is probably the one that obviously, you know, um, requires more reading, more practice, because it's not just, uh, you're, you're not learning an alphabet, you're learning new words daily. Mm. Uh, and like, imagine having, I don't know, even just 20 words, new words per day, you have to learn at least 35 new characters. So you see like that is definitely something different because like you're not learning letters, you're learning new words mm -hmm. and you need to know how to write them. So it's not just like the reading. Okay, yeah, I know the word is pronounced like that, but then you have to nail the tone. Okay, so right. the, the intonation needs to be correct, the pronunciation, otherwise you will end up saying something completely different. And then you have to know how to write them. You know, we have to write essays. We have to hand write essays in Chinese. So like imagine having an essay to hand write in one hour. And you obviously have to write all the characters in Chinese. Um, so yeah, I would say in that case, that um, Chinese is, would be like, would be the language that requires me uh, just like slightly, you know, more time. And obviously I'm, um, I'm just um, lucky because I study Chinese at university. So like, it's really easy to keep up with the study because obviously I have a class um, every day, you know? So it's not like, oh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm not studying Chinese for a couple of weeks and then I'm, I'm going back to it. It would be really, really hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so take me back to Napoli. Um, yeah. I know that Napolitano is a very distinct dialect within Italy and is widely spoken. And I'm pointing this out because I know that, you know, some other dialects in, in, I don't, isn't, I'm not saying dialects. I'm saying dialects. Some other, <laughs> some other <laughs> uh, dialects in Italian uh, and languages spoken in Italy. Um, I know that they are um, not so widely spoken. So like in the North mm. of Italy, a lot of people don't speak Piemontese, for example. Mm, true. I know that Napolitano is a very distinct dialect. Um, in Naples, I know that a lot of people speak it. It's really widely spoken. Um, tell me some things about Napolitano that differentiate it from standard Italian. Okay, so the well, as you said, um, it's um, very different dialect. You know, even from the other dialects, it can be at times considered to be a. Uh, an actual language, you know, because it's so diverse, it's so different from the standard Italian that, you know, people sometimes can't really understand what we're saying. You might probably catch some words, but then if I start, uh, I don't know, like speaking sentences, it will be really, really hard to catch up, you know, with what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say um, what makes it, it, it's a very peculiar language. And what, make, what makes it particular is 
um, well, first of all, the sound is really harsh, you know, compared to standard Italian, it's, uh, we have a lot of like, I call them dead sounds because the words are not ending with a vowel anymore. So we're dropping all the vowels mm. and it's just going to end in a consonant, you know, it, you, you will feel like it's going to be like Spanish words, but then obviously Spanish words, they have their own melody, you know, mm. they have their, their, their own like soft sounds, but then, uh, in Napolitano, most of the sounds, I would say, are really, really harsh. And then there's like the grammar that obviously it's completely different, like where you would use a subjunctive verb tense in Italian, then you would use a conditional tense in, um, in, in Napolitano. So that would like m- make things really hard even for us to translate into mm. Italian. And lots of times we are considered to be illiterate, illiterate or like uneducated when it comes to like us trying to speak standard Italian because obviously we might make some mistakes because we would obviously process the thinking in uh, in our own dialect right mm-hmm. let's let's just take uh, just to set you an example we okay. have the articles you're studying Italian right so we have the the articles we have uh, for the um, the definite articles okay so we have il la or lo okay mm-hmm. um Let's just say that in, in, yeah, I would say in Napolitano, we just drop the L, so we just keep the last sound. So it would be like la becomes a, lo becomes o, and fun fact, even il just stays o. So it's like we only have two, um, uh, mm. two articles, we only have a and o. So it actually makes things easier on these aspects. But then, you know, you would think, why would I, why wouldn't I have like il? You know, how can I make like a word starting with, uh, with like another consonant because you know that law is only used with like words starting with Z, S or like PS, it's kind of like diphthongs. Um, but then in Napolitan, we just use like O for everything, you know? So it's really hard, you know, lots of people actually find it difficult to translate and, and use the il, the article il in Italian with like specific words, you know? Somebody who's going to go to Naples and let's say they maybe have a little bit of understanding of Italian, do you think it would be difficult to communicate or, um, you know, to communicate with, with someone who's from Naples? And um, do you think it would be difficult for a person to get around Naples? Do you think it would be difficult for them to communicate? Um, so let's just say, obviously, if uh, you're a tourist, like you're, you're coming from abroad, um, then uh, as I mean, obviously you can try and speak English, but if you, let's just say you're speaking, uh, you're speaking Italian, right? Um, they're gonna see, they're gonna adapt, I think, their Italian to the way you're speaking. So if you're speaking like standard Italian, obviously, they are not gonna use the dialect. So you can mm-hmm. rest assured they're not gonna use the dialect. However, there are some words that when we translate them, you know, let's just say you're in the city center. Okay, so obviously you're going to hear the dialect only. Uh, But let's just say that you speak in Italian to our shop assistant, then obviously she's going to speak really perfect Italian with you. But then we use some verbs, you know, that might differ. For example, like let's just take um, uh, dare lezioni, like to teach classes, like to give someone a class, right? Mm-hmm. But then because in Napolitano, in Napolitano we say like fare lezione, so we would translate it with the verb fare. And let's just say you've probably studied Italian from a book, you know, you, you, you've only studied like the standard uh, Italian from a book. And you know that it's like dare lezione. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you would go like, oh, maybe I got it wrong, you know, or maybe you're not expecting to hear that verb next to the noun lezione. You know what I mean, um, so you would probably get confused just with this kind of like very small 
details that you probably won't even notice, but that can make a difference sometimes. Right. right. Mm. The reason I asked that question is also because um, when I went to Sicily, I went to Sicily a couple of years ago and yeah. before I went and I was telling some people like, oh, I'm going to Sicily, I'm going to Sicily. And a few people who uh, were Italian American said to me, uh, no one's going to understand you when you go to Sicily because they all speak Sicilian. And mm. I, you know, my Italian's not perfect, but I can get by in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be honest, like, I was a little nervous because I was thinking, you know, I hadn't been to Sicily before. And you're telling me that all my Italian that I've been studying for years and years and years <laughs> is going to be useless. And, and I was, I was really, I was really anxious about it. Um, and then when I got there, everybody spoke to me in Italian and I didn't hear any Sicilian being spoken and I was in Palermo. So that's probably mm-hmm. why. So I had this conversation with several Sicilian people on this show before and I asked them the same question like if somebody were to come to Sicily um you know would would they have a problem being understood and and I think it's because and I think the reason why this question comes up for me is because I know that Sicilian language and Neapolitan language is like so strong like the culture is just something Mm -hmm. that we know outside of Italy, you know, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people may think that Sicily and Naples is like truly indicative of all Italian culture, which we know that it's not right. But I think that because, because these regions of Italy um, have so much history and they are so distinct, I think it's easy for someone to think like, if I go to Naples, no one's going to understand me and it's easy to get caught up in maybe stereotypes. So mm-hmm. I wanted to ask that question so that we could be clear. <laughs> <laughs> we could be clear that that wouldn't be the case. So um, since we're talking about Naples, what are some things about Naples that are really special to you? What are some things that you would want someone who's never visited to know about your, your hometown? Um, well, um, I was actually, um, talking to a couple of friends of mine, you know, a couple of days ago, um, because they obviously want to come and visit, uh, Naples, obviously after COVID, um, and they were trying, um, they were, they were asking me, you know, like, where, uh, would you take us, you know, what's, what are, what are the, uh, peculiar, like the particular places? So I would say, um, well, first of all, as you know, uh, Naples is like the uh, the place of pizza, right? Like the place of origin of pizza. So, like <laughs> I would say, the like the the most particular thing would be like to taste the real Neapolitan pizza, like the margarita. Uh, that would be maybe like the best uh, place where to taste it. Um, we also have mozzarella, which obviously I think you you've heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all over the world right now, but I every time I come back from the UK and I taste the mozzarella here, it's always a new adventure, a new experience. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that that's definitely you know as when it comes to cuisine, when it comes to food, then I would say Naples is like the place to go um, to go to. Um, as for sightseeing, I I feel like I'm really 
close to um, the Vesuvius, um, as you know, the volcano, which is just like something that I, um, it's just a place where you wouldn't really go, you know, um, just like on, on a normal, normal, like daily basis, like on a normal day. But I remember that I had really uh, beautiful experiences on the volcano with like a couple of um, friends of mine that came to visit me. Um, and it's a really nice place. I really like it. Um, like when you reach the top, you know, we can walk on, on on top and it's really it's a it's a really nice experience. Yeah. Mm. It's definitely something I would I, I would do once again. Obviously you probably are familiar with like the Pompeii ruins. Um, um so yeah that's also like something that you might uh, you might want to visit obviously in case you, you go there. Uh, but again, you know, it's not, um, if you go to Pompeii, you might, you might just feel sad, you know, you're just gonna do that all day long and just feel sad for the rest of the day. Um, but definitely I would go, you know, the Vesuvius is a beautiful experience. Yeah, just go on top. And, and also I would say, as you know, like mostly South of Italy is very um, religious, right? So we have many things related to um, like Christianity, you know, like we have this, um, this thing called the Cristo Velato, like the veil, the Christ, Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like um, a statue, but it's like so well made that you can actually see all like the, the facial traits of the Jesus. You can see like the lineaments of the veil and it looks so real. So that's also like, it, it's, it's like very, it's hidden in one of the neighborhoods, you know, we call them the hoods, you know, the neighborhoods in, um, in Naples, uh, but it's really worth it. Again, if you're not from here, you might never find out that that thing is there. Um, so it's really good, you know, if you obviously come and you have like a tour guide or someone from, from the place that can like take you around. Yeah. Right. That's mm. really cool. So I'm looking at a map as you're talking and I, (laughs) I, um, so I see Vesuvius. I mean, this is what's really funny is because I've been here and I still needed to look at a map and just kind of (laughs) understand. So, you know, Ischia, Capri, Sorrento, those are all part of like the city of Naples, huh? Yes. Well, they're still, um, they're still part of the region. The region. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And Yes, there the um there are three islands, so Capri, Ischia, and Procidam. So Sorrento, that one is not an island; it's just the the coast, like the Amalf- the Amalfi Coast. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that one is a beautiful place indeed, and also this um it's called the Lemon Place, you know, because that's where the lemons are originally from. They have the limoncello, you probably mm. heard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. What are the people like? Tell me what the people are like in Naples what are the people like I would say um I would say they're very uh warm-hearted one thing that has ever like surprised me amazed me you know um you know that um something like very um, I would say that is like part of the of the inner being of a Napolitan person it's like they're very warm-hearted they would always um host you always welcome you into their homes uh they will always like make food for you like food is a is a thing you know in naples like they will always um invite you maybe for lunch for dinner mostly you know maybe in other countries they would invite you out for dinner but in, in naples it would be like more i invite you to my own place you know um to my house for um for lunch for dinner for a meal 
and and then it's good because obviously you usually have like these um you know you feel the warmth of home don't you then you have this kind of things like with your um your, your discovering like another family you see like the way they they treat you they might um they usually um, like this with everyone not only local italian people they might feel like this with some you know so tourists you know maybe if you just talk to them most if you obviously are able to speak italian they might feel like you know obviously amazed you know they were going to be surprised um by you speaking italian so that's definitely going to be um you know like one more <laughs> point uh, to your like an event uh an advantage for for you um and yes, I would say the um, yeah they're just like warm-hearted, and that's something that I I also encountered when I moved to Liverpool. You know, usually they say that British people are um, cold-hearted, like the, the opposite, right? But then I feel like in uh, it's the opposite. You know, like the northern, um, like the northern part of Italy. Usually people are like they just busy. They're not cold-hearted. They're just busy. Obviously, they have like other things to think about. It's just like the business world, isn't it? So I would say like in the in the south, we're more like we're more based on affections, um, based on like the family lineage, like the relatives. Um, if you're a friend of my friend, then you're automatically my friend, you know what I mean? So it's that kind of thing, which uh, is, um, by the way, fun fact, is very close to Chinese culture. There's all, they, they've also like very based on this kind of like, they call the uh, the guanxi and the xinyo, which is like the trust and the relations um, with people. So that's definitely something I would say for, um, people from Naples specifically yeah that's so sweet I love mm -hmm. that <laughs> now I understand that proverbs are really important in Neapolitan culture is that true true <laughs> yes do you have any proverbs that you know maybe you would hear commonly if you're moving throughout Naples or anything that you know, anything you heard growing up that maybe like anybody who grew up in Naples would know? Yeah, so uh, right now, now that you're asking me the question, I'm thinking of a game that we play at Christmas time. It's called Tombola, which is like the bingo. Um, but specifically, we play it in a Neapolitan way. So every number has got a specific meaning. And on uh, and we have like um, a specific Neapolitan proverb or like, yeah, idiomatic expression and then it's usually translated in Italian and English. Hmm. Um, but some of and um, some of the um, proverbs, you know, like that I'm thinking of right now, would be one that maybe everyone will tell you is like "Vida Napoli e poi muore," which is like if you come to if you come to Naples, they would they would tell you like "Vida Napoli, vedi Napoli e poi muore, e poi muori." So like after you see Naples, you can die. It doesn't have like a negative connotation. It's like because you've seen everything in the world, you've seen the best, the most beautiful thing in the world. So you can you can die in peace. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what they want to mean by this saying, this proverb. So like "Vida Napoli e poi muore." There's uh, another one I really like is uh, Nishuna e nato imparata. In Italian it would be Nessuno e nato con la conoscenza, like literally imparato. Where it's like no one is born with no, no one was ever born with knowledge. So like you never stop learning, right? Mm. So no one was born like a genius. Maybe there's one more. It's a bit, uh, they usually insert like a swear word inside. I'm not going to use the swear word. Um, I'm going to say like, chi se fa e fatti suoi, like whoever minds their own business will live for 100 years so like that's something that really relates to Neapolitan culture because I think Neapolitan people they really lo lo love 
gossip, you know? Um, so uh, we will go like, you know, let's just say that something happens in your neighborhood or like, yeah, in the street where you live on. And then it's going to be like, you know, people are going to, whatever happens, people are going to uh, open their windows and they're going to mind your business. They want to see what happened and they're going to ask questions. And so, uh, you know, we usually use the sentence like, you know, if you mind your own business, you can live for hundred years. Like you can have a long life. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else about Naples that you think is particularly interesting that people may want to know? The warmth of home, like wherever you go, you always, wherever you go, there's always like the, uh, you know, these like beautiful perfume, you know, like the, like the smell of food, you know, like wherever you, wherever you are, you can always like smell something nice, you know, something that's cooking, like even from, from a house to another house, you can see the chimney, like everything, the fire coming out, like maybe on Saturday, then like having some barbecue, like roasting meat, you no know, grilling. So um, I would say that's like very popular, at least in my neighborhood, I always <laughs> have like these smells all around me. Um, and then I have, um, they also like very rooted in, um, in family values and ancient values, such as like ancient traditions. You know, that's something that we always keep up. You know, we never lose traditions. Let's just say we have to, um, I don't know, we have to celebrate Christmas in, in family, then yes, we're gonna do that, you know no matter that you know we're gonna grow older that we're gonna leave the country we're gonna go abroad we still have to be the whole family reunited you know on specific occasions mm. i feel like those kind of things are really nice you know when i hear from other other friends it always be like oh no you know after a couple of years then we, we just lost it we just got out of, of that habit and i feel like at least my family and i think most of the families here in naples they're very traditional not conservative but traditional in the case of like we want to keep uh, the like the, the values, the traditions, like belonging to maybe uh, our grandparents, our ancestors. So that's definitely something nice. Yeah, you're in university. You're in Liver uh, University in Liverpool, um, and you're studying Mandarin. What made you decide to make Mandarin your course of study? Um, okay, <laughs> good question. Uh, it wasn't. Um, let's just say it wasn't a really <laughs> deliberate choice. Okay. Um, basically, it, um, I wanted to carry on my Arabic study. So as you know, I was speaking a lot of Arabic when I was in high school. So obviously when I applied for university, I wanted to carry on my Arabic studies. Uh, but then uh, what happened was that the University of Liverpool ran out of all the Arabic teachers on that year. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah. So I couldn't pick Arabic. Um, and then I was like, oh, you know what? I can go for Japanese. But then again, there was no Japanese offer. There was only like an evening course. It was like extra that I could have like taken anyway. So I was like, okay, I need to enroll in a specific subject. Which one is going to be? The languages offered, most of them were just like European. And so obviously I was like not really interested because I was like, I can study them without a proper university course. Mm -hmm. um, and Chinese was the only one. It was um, thrilling, you know, back then because he said like ear abroad in China. So like, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I can get like an ear abroad and I can study in the UK and then like also move to um, a different country, like in this case, China. Um, and yeah, I'm actually, right now, I can say I'm so grateful uh, there was no Arabic. Like, I made that choice of studying Chinese. Right now, I'm completely in love. Like, I fall in love with each single character. You know, like, it's not even the words, like, the character, which is beautiful. Like, the history behind it, um, the whole, like, cultural background. I'm really in love with the language. And I think that's also, like, obviously, um, due to... Um, 
the good teacher I got. Because I feel like, uh, yes, I've got um, some good teachers, you know, high school and middle school that always like kind of encourage me. Um, but then I got the best teacher uh, at the University of Liverpool. Um, and she's like, um, she was always, uh, she was always making the, uh, each class really fun, interactive, and it was always diverse, mm. you know, you could never get bored, really. So I feel like Chinese is not the language that you can study. Let's just say, let's just say we want to study Spanish, right? So you can go like on the first day, you can like, okay, como estas? Like, why are you todo bien? It's like, everything is all right. So you can study bad sentences. You can study like the equivalent translation in English, but then Chinese, you will start with the first day is going to like, okay, how to say knife, how to say strength. And you're going to like, when am I going to use these words? You know, because then you actually have to start with the single, with the simpler characters. So you actually see the, the whole learning process is so different mm. from European languages. So yeah, and I'm so glad that she made everything, every single class so fun. And I remember like a beautiful um, example is when um, before starting a class, she was like having us meditate, you know, and like um, control our um, breathing for five minutes. And it was really good. She was like, you're going to focus more. You're going to have more energy for the class. You know, it was really good. Mm. That's really amazing. So I actually didn't realize this. So let me just make sure I understand. When you started learning Mandarin, you're starting learning the simplest characters and not yes. just yes. translating, you know, phrases like common phrases that you would hear in like a European language, for example. Yeah, exactly. You got it. So that's how it works, you know, because like in European languages, it would be really easy. You know, you can just say, uh, like, I'm going to the supermarket, like I'm going shopping or uh, we can watch a movie together. But then if you make the sentence in Chinese, they're going to be so long and they're going to have like so many different characters. And you have to start from the basic ones, because then imagine knowing how to say the sentence, but then you cannot write it down. So how can you actually take an exam? You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. So that is why we're going to start with like the simple characters and then gradually build up to the harder ones. Mm. Never even realized that. And I think that's amazing. Um, how, so you're, you're loving it. You're loving Mandarin. Um, and I know that you are, how many years have you been studying Mandarin now? Uh, three years now. Three years. Okay. So outside of school, what methods have you been using um, to help you along your studies? Um, so uh, I would say um, mainly with online classes, let's just say that the COVID was um, obviously negative thing for the entire world, but it was also positive for people that wanted to learn something new. I feel like there were more um, courses online and even for free so I was I was like trying to enroll myself in like most of them even though like I was doing lots of languages at the same time I was trying to really concentrate I made um I, I usually keep record like I keep a, a log for each language so I I have a notebook for every single language and then I I, I write the vocab for example like let's just say that today I want to learn how to um, say the family members okay so I'm gonna write mom dad um, brother, sister, and then I make sentences like my brother is tall or like my dad works in the hospital. So you know what I mean, so all these kind of things. And I would make like, I would start with a simple sentence. Obviously that's something I can do with um, European languages, like languages that don't have like a different alphabet. Then in that case, I can also try and do it on my own. I, 
I also like comparing languages. So I also have a specific book where I compare languages like you know, the Slavic languages. So I put like Serbian and Polish. Uh, sometimes I put Russian and I try to see um, the similarities and the differences. And then uh, I compare the, um, the Romance languages. I have like Catalan, Galician, Portuguese, and I try to write the same sentences, the same sentences and then see how they might differ, how where they're similar and I you would actually be amazed like at how similarities there are you know even in languages you might not really think of and then you're like oh wow you know they're not even related but they have similar words yeah that's cool (laughs) that's really amazing so I mean do you does it matter or do you know like what level you are in Mandarin right now um, yes, I, um, I'm actually right now preparing for uh, a C1 exam. Um, cool. So, yeah. Uh, I, or even though right now they're like changing the, uh, uh, the, uh, the exam levels, they, they were six. Now they want to make him nine, but that's not uh, like, there's not certain yet, you know, so they're still like changing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow, that's really, really exciting. That's exciting. That's <laughs> that's actually very exciting. And I wish you all the best in your studies and your exams and everything that is coming up for you in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. So you told me before, um, before we started recording that you have this nickname of Mr. UNICEF. back in your hometown Um, I would love to know how you got this nickname and um, how you hope to keep meeting people all over the world once you have completed your studies okay so as for the nickname yes so um, I owe this nickname to my um, very close friend Gio from Georgia basically we were um I was uh, enrolled in this um, cultural exchange program when I was in high school. So basically I was hosting a person coming from a certain country. So that it happened to be Georgia and I hosted this guy. Um, and I remember that obviously we wanted to, uh, he, he's a good cook, you know, like he can cook really well. And so like, we tried to have like a night where we were like making different dishes, like, you know, um, combining, you know, the cultures, like, you know, I was making an Italian dish, he was making um, uh, Georgian uh, typical, um, typical dishes. And I was like, you know, we can maybe try to invite more people. And I remember we were like on a train station. I, and that was the first time I, I met um, this guy from uh, Gambia, um, who's also, it was still here he's, he's still working here in naples right now um and basically um i, w- I was just talking to him i was like oh you know like we can we, we're gonna have these um these night but we're just like gonna combine we're gonna taste like different cuisines maybe you can you can come and we can also try to make a you know a special dish from your own country you know and it was like, oh, yeah, definitely. I'm in. Uh, can I invite some friends? And it was like, you know, um, obviously, like, calling other friends. So then that we were like um, 10 of us. It was like 10 of us. And we were like trying to um, taste, you know, different cuisine, different dishes. So that was um, definitely cool. And he, I don't know why he, he just started like, oh, you're definitely Mr. UNICEF. Because I think he knew that my dream job was like to work in this kind of like, um, you know, world organizations such as um, UNICEF. So it was like, oh, you definitely are missing UNICEF. Like you, you, just, you would just, you would just go to every, 
you know, every person you've been in the street, you would just talk to them and you would just like try to, I don't know, like make them feel involved, you know? Because obviously all these people, I, I mainly go to people that are not from my country. I, I talk to them just because sometimes I feel like they might be lost or like they might need some help. And I always want them to feel welcomed in my country and also feel like, you know, involved in whatever's going on, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's like, uh, and it was like, that's definitely a nickname that like suits you perfectly. And that's when he started calling me that. And I changed my Instagram name to like Mr. Unicef. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone who is interested in, getting in touch with you or maybe joining one of your classes, please let us know how we can find you and how we can find your classes. Yeah. So I would say actually uh, everything lies on Instagram, which is basically, if you just follow my account, I will post every day that there's like a class. Most of them are for free. Um, Every day there's like a class. I would just like post it on my Instagram. So you can see my Instagram stories and you can say, okay, there's a class now. Uh, And if anyone was interested, like they can just drop me a message. Uh, my name is like Mr. Unicef, so um, they can just like uh, look for me. And yeah, I would be more than glad. Actually, uh, it was this week. Uh, it was yesterday. Yeah, it was uh, Thursday. Basically, I usually have a Chinese class uh, on Thursday. But then because there were like many newcomers, they like asked me personally to have like a class where we would start from scratch. I decided to have like a completely free class um, starting one hour earlier and like just invite as many people as possible just like okay whoever is interested in studying Mandarin right now and they want to start from scratch from the very basics then you guys can come and actually a lot of people came and I was sad because like you know just seeing the people being interested you know feeling some interest you know in studying um, Mandarin it's definitely uh, well a great achievement for the world I would say <laughs> so <laughs> I will put your Instagram information in the show notes so that people who are listening to this episode will be able to um, click the link and follow you. And hopefully they'll be able to take a class or two with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Let me ask you, do you have a language or two that you enjoy (laughs) speaking the most? that I enjoy speaking the most. Okay, so I would say Chinese is definitely a language that I love speaking. Um, Also because I think, just because I practice it every day, I have to speak every day in class. So obviously I I just love it, the way it sounds. And maybe another one that I enjoy speaking would be Indonesian. Yeah, Mm. I enjoy speaking that one. I I, I also like the way it sounds. I I feel like they have very um, special sounds, you know, that you can't really find in uh, other languages. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Chinese and Indonesian, I would say. Mm. Is there a language that you love to read in the most? Mm. Mm, I would say, okay, to express things. I mean, I usually read books in English most of the times. Um, so I would say to express uh, like big things. I don't know why, even though lots of people say that English is like a limited language when it comes to vocabulary, I still feel like, uh, a book in English definitely will get to my heart you know mm. I would like really feel it I would like, uh, like mirror myself like reflect myself in the book yeah. um, definitely I enjoy reading um, Swedish and uh, Papiamento yeah so I would say those languages are the ones I enjoy reading a lot like if I just have to like read maybe like a, a short text or, like uh, a paragraph or a chapter of a book I would definitely enjoy those languages yeah and which languages 
are you looking forward to learning in the future? Mm. Well, I'm currently learning Tagalog um, and I would say it will take me a long time until I master it because <laughs> I feel like I have, I, I nailed all the words coming from Spanish origins, but the verbs are still a tricky part. Um, and I have lots of friends from Turkey. You know, I have my students, Magica, Samash. Uh, they're always telling me to, um, to, uh, you know, to pick up Turkish. But then, I don't know, I just feel like, you know, because I was, when I was studying Arabic, I don't know why I decided to um, study Turkish just for a couple of weeks. And it was so hard. I had to, I had to give up. I had to drop it. And so I don't, I don't feel, I don't see myself going back to the language, but maybe Serbian. Serbian, I feel like I had a lot of fun when I was learning it uh, in high school. So I would say, um, uh, I would probably go back to that um, Slavic language, to Serbian. Yeah. Hmm. What did you find difficult about Turkish? Uh, I feel like they, uh, it's a language that works uh, a lot with a uh, suffix, prefix, and also like the, the verb that goes at the end. So it, uh, I, I um, sometimes like, you know, my students, they usually tell me that Turkish is the same as Japanese, you know, in terms of grammar. So there's like always the, the verb at the end, which is like German, but then it also works like with the, um, you have the uh, measure words, which like you have in Chinese, but then I feel like in Turkish, they're going to be like another tricky part, you know? I feel like Chinese is enough when it comes to measure words. I wouldn't like, I, I, would, I wouldn't want to like harm myself <laughs> with another language like that. What are, what are measure words? Measure words are like when you say, uh, when you want to say like one beer, okay? You need to add something in between the number and the noun, so you need a specific word and the word will change for every specific object according to the shape and the uh, function of okay. the object. Okay. Yeah. So let's just say, I want to say, I want to say an apple. Okay. In Chinese, I can, sorry, in English, I can just say an apple, but then in Chinese, because I'm putting a number next to a noun, I need something in between. So it would be like, I cannot say e pingo, e is number one, pingo is the apple. I have to say e g pingo. So g in that case would be the measure word that I need for the apple. Mm. Hmm. I've not heard of that before. <laughs> I'm very interested in how this works now. <laughs> yeah, no, apparently lots of, um, some of the Asian languages they have this. I'm not sure about, um, I'm sure about Chinese and Turkish. Uh, maybe Japanese and Korean, they might share the same um, peculiarity, apparently. Uh, but yeah, definitely something like before mentioning a number, you have, um, you, sorry, when you have a number and a noun, before the noun, you need this. Uh, it's, all, it's also close, called a uh, classifier. So like some people call it the measure word, others they call it classifier. It, it, it's like when in English you say, you don't say a banana, a banana is just like one. But if you want to say a uh, like a flower, you say a bunch of flowers. So bunch would be like a measure word in Chinese. Uh -huh. I mean, okay. Uh, kind of yeah. But let's just say that in English, you don't need for every object, but in Chinese you do for each object. Yes. Okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so, so much. I learned from you in this conversation. Uh, thank you so much for joining me and for telling me about all of the languages you speak, especially uh, Napolitano and Mandarin. I like to end each episode with the same question, and that is, do you have any jokes, tongue twisters, slang words, idioms, 
words of wisdom or words of advice in any of your languages to share? <laughs> okay, well, uh, I start off with I'm really bad at tongue twisters, <laughs> um, but I can definitely give you some um, some slang words, some idioms. Okay, in uh, in some of the or some some of the languages. Sure. Mm, so maybe the first one would be in uh, Neapolitan. <laughs> okay, let's start with the dialect. So there's one I I usually make fun of the dialect because there's like these short phrase that when I pronounce it, it sounds like Arabic or like one of those languages, you know, like really I don't know, really weird. So it goes like nunta kalakamakali. What does that mean? <laughs> so it's like, this one actually sounds like a tongue twister, but it's like, do, uh, let's just say that I dropped something, right? And then a friend of mine would say, oh, do not get down. I'll kneel down and pick it up for you. Okay. So like I'm offering myself to pick up the thing that you dropped. So without like you kneeling down or like, mm, yeah, like mm, going down to, to pick it up. Okay. You know? Yes, say it's like it, say yeah, it again. Nun ta kala ka makali. Nun ta kala ka makali. Nun ta kala ka ah. Nun nun ta kala ka ka makali. Ka makali. Yeah, nun ta kala ka makali. Oh my gosh, you gotta write that one down for me so I can practice it. <laughs> uh, obviously, you know that the spelling in a vary you know for like each person because we we don't learn how to write it we can only pronounce it mm-hmm. uh, but yeah that would be like the pronunciation so noon would be like non to uh, ta would be like t non t kala is calare or abbassare like mm-hmm. to go down to kneel mm-hmm. down ka is like ke ma is me uh cal is uh abbasso okay or calo io i go down I is io. So I is like the personal pronoun, I. Like io. Mm. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's it. All right. I'm ready to come back to Naples now. <laughs> <laughs> now you're ready. Now you're definitely ready. <laughs> um, then I wanted to share one in Swedish. Um, sure. So this one is like, Literally, it means there's no cow on the ice. <laughs> yeah, so this one is like, it means no, there's nothing. Like, there's no. Ko is the cow. Okay. Then you have po, on, is the preposition on. Isen is the ice. Okay. So it's like, there's no cow on the ice. But actually, uh, it would be like, uh, there's no problem. Everything is all right. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I think that's a, it's no problem. There's no cow on the ice. I like yes. that. <laughs> because you like, you know, it feels like the, obviously if, the, if a cow were on the ice, it would just break, you know, like the ice underneath. So obviously in that case, if there's no cow, the ice is not going to break, which is like everything is all right. It's like in their own place, in its own place. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much yeah. again, Salvatore. Thank you for this conversation and for, for teaching us all so much. Um, before I let you go, tell me what would be the best way in any of your languages, and don't think about it, just the first one that comes to mind, what would be the best way to say goodbye? The best way to say goodbye, Zaijian. <laughs> Zaijian? Oh. Yeah, I don't know why the first time I came to my mind was in Chinese. <laughs> I 
don't know why. I would just use that one. <laughs> well, thank you again, Zaitian. And I will be talking to you soon. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.